chapter 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Lord, we ask that the seed of your word would find fertile soil upon our hearts and our souls. Lord, that we would apply your word, not just hear it. Lord, that we would be uh, not only hearers, but doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, like I say, uh, we're in First John chapter 4, and we're going to do the, the second part of... Last week we talked about the first part in the first six verses in 1 John chapter 4 in which we were talking about try the spirits. Now we know that John is warning believers about the fellowship, about having fellowship with false spirits. He's not telling us, hey, let's go try the spirits, let's go see how they are. No, he's saying put them on trial. You know, make sure that 
what you're believing is actually biblical, you know, if it follows God's word or not. He actually even says, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, or you know, like I said, put them on trial. And so he warns, he issues this warning to believers to try it because it's possible for believers not to try the spirits and get themselves in trouble. There are so many times where a believer will go out and just because it's at a church or it's a so a program on TV or whatever that's talking about Jesus or whatever, they automatically assume it's got to be, you know, right. No, the Bible gives us, you know, John gives us this warning. Jesus gives us this warning. God's Word gives us this warning because it's possible for us to get ourselves in a whole lot of trouble if we're not trying the spirits, if we're not putting them on trial to make sure. And then immediately after he talks about this, John issues another command right after that. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. So what is he talking about this week? We're going to be talking about God is love. And that phrase, I mean, you hear that everywhere. You hear from, uh, you know, the pride parades. You hear from all the Lord's that God is love. How dare you say that? God is love. Yes, he is. But it's not the love that they're referring to. God is love because he's the epitome of love. Everything about God is love. But there's also the fact that he's a just God and that he must go according to what his word says. He set it out. We follow what God's word says, not what our feelings are, all right? We know that, right? We don't follow what, because there's a lot, I mean, honestly, if we were to look at God's word, there's probably a lot of things in there that are inconvenient towards us because we like doing those things. But the thing is that we follow God's word and not what we want. Love, godly love, would be the best defense against the flesh. You know, the Bible says that we're supposed to walk after the spirit. We're supposed to walk in the light, right? And we're also supposed to fight against the flesh, so the thing is, is that what we can do is we can get ourselves in a whole lot of mess with the flesh, but yet if we are to walk in the Spirit, walk in love, walk in what God has called, that's our best defense. Because if, we are, if we're doing that, all that other stuff is not going to even you know, matter to us. Because if we're walking in the Spirit, we're not going to walk after those things. Because walking in the Spirit is contrary or it goes against the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 16 through 17 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the fl uh, flesh lust against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These, these are contrary to one another, so that ye cannot do the things that, they, uh, that you would. So what is he telling us? Obviously, like I just said, he's telling us that if we're walking in the Spirit, we're not going to fulfill, we're not going to desire to walk after the flesh. Is it possible to walk you know, in the flesh and still be a believer? Yes. That's why, there's, that's why it talks about being a struggle, that we fight those things. That's why we also need to make sure that we are remaining in Christ so that way we know that we are walking in the Spirit and we're not going to want to do those things. We're not going to desire those things. So is God love only? Is God love only? Let's look at verse 7 and 8. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. Now remind us, I want to remind us that he's writing this epistle, this letter, to believers. He's not writing them to the unsaved, you know, uh, you know, to those that don't love God. He says, beloved, let us love one another. So he's writing that to those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not writing it to everyone out there that, you know, that actually hates God. But he says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and every, uh, everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not, knoweth not uh, God, for God is love. Now, we must, when I go through this you know, entire thing, we'll see how God 
defines what love actually truly is. We cannot forget what happened in the Old Testament because there's, there's churches, like I said, and pastors that are preaching that you don't need to read the Old Testament, that it's, it's invalid, that it's gone. But if we're going to, because what they want to do is they know that in the Old Testament, God in his loving kindness and, you know, towards people gave the people many chances to love him, to follow him. And they get mad because all of a sudden, because of that, because of the rejection that people show in the Old Testament towards him, that he pours out his wrath on the non-believer. He, they get mad about that. They're like, how dare God do that? I mean, well, the thing is, is that if you read how many years upon years upon years that he gives them that opportunity to love him, and they just flat out reject him. I mean, you can watch any of your favorite, you know, shows. You know that there's, there's those shows sometimes that you, uh, that you see where, you know, this a, a little boy loves a girl, loves her since, like, childbirth. And they're going with her, and no matter what, she just keeps on, like, rejecting him and rejecting him and rejecting him. I think about this in... When I, uh, when I saw the show uh, Andy Griffith. Anybody ever watch Andy Griffith's show? Barney strings along Thumbaloo for the entire show, you know, pretty much you know, four or five seasons that he's on the show. Strings her along, strings her along, never, you know, wants to marry, you know, never wants to marry, never wants to do that. But then he comes back for a high school reunion looking for her, and what ends up happening? She's married somebody else. Because you know what? She got tired of waiting. And the thing is, is that God actually has more mercy towards that. He doesn't wait five seasons or whatever to say, I'm done. But he actually gives everybody a, a chance and an opportunity to love him. We also, for those that say, well, Old, Old Testament, well, we can't do that. Have we ever read the book of Revelation? There's more wrath in the book of Revelation than, than you'll probably almost see in the entire Old Testament. I mean, think about it. He, he's talking about bringing about you know, plagues and boils and all these other things upon people in the, uh, in the book of Revelation alone. There's a whole lot of, uh, of wrath in the book of Revelation. We need to realize that. Would Jesus have been crucified if he only preached love? If he says, you could do whatever you want to do, it doesn't really matter. I know I gave all these commands. I, told, I know I, I wrote this, you know, you know, so that way you could actually know, you know, know me and want to know me. But you know what? You could do whatever you want. Do you think that Jesus would have been crucified for that? No. I mean, I was sitting there thinking about just the different things that he, I mean, he called people dogs. I mean, he called, uh, you know, the Pharisees or brood of vipers. I mean, he called them all these names. But yeah, we sit there and say, well, yeah, he just preached love. I wonder sometimes if, if we get this idea or the modern church actually gets the idea that they like to highlight with the, with a permanent black marker. Those things that they don't like. Because they, they miss the whole entire thing. Would the apostles have been martyred if they had just preached love. If they would have just said, hey, I'm going to preach love, that's, what, you know, that's the way it's going to be. We must not forget, yes, God is love. He is love, but he is also a righteous judge, merciful, yet he disciplines. He's also, he also has wrath, but here's the thing. He does not have wrath for those who believe upon him. God never pours out his wrath upon believers, upon followers of him. He pours out, out wrath upon those that reject him that turn their back on him, that want to have nothing to do uh, with him. And here's the thing is, yes, he created them, but there's a point in time where God says, you don't want me, I'm going to give you exactly what you want. And the Bible says that he, he gives them over to a reprobate mind. He also, like I said, his ultimate expression, and here's the thing, his ultimate expression of hatred towards sin is hell. 
That's where he sends people who reject him, who don't want to follow him. But the thing is, but like I said, but glory to God for the believer in Christ, because we have passed from darkness to light. We were wicked, but now we're saved. We were condemned, but now we receive mercy and salvation because of him. Amen? And that's the thing that we need to realize is that, and that's the reason why we need to tell others about Jesus. Other people are like, well, you know what? I mean, they're just wicked and everything. Bring them out of darkness into his light. I mean, to me, it's selfish when we, we, we want to share, or we don't want to share the gospel with people. Because it's selfish, because we're saying, you know what? You know what? Uh, I think I'm better than you, and you don't need heaven. I mean, that's, that's kind of, in a sense, what we're saying. We don't necessarily come out and, and blatantly say that to a person. But the thing is that the way we treat them oftentimes is, is that way. Let's look at uh, 9 through 11. It says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment because that is synonymous with John 3.16, one of the most famous Bible verses out there, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that, doesn't that sound about the same? I mean, that's the thing is, is that we need to realize he sent his son so we could be reconciled to him. So that way... While we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. That he said, you know what? I love them enough. I'm going to make every, every possible way for them to come. And that's why it says that we might live. You say, well, that doesn't sound very sure. No. If we've accepted Jesus Christ, we will live. If we're believers in Christ, we will live for all of eternity with him. But he says might because, you know what? He actually was the propitiation, or what the Bible says, you know, that's what the Bible says, as, or an atonement for every person. He provided that for everyone. But the thing is, is that why he says with that we might live is because not everyone's going to accept him or believe upon him. It's their choice. Jesus said, I've done everything possible that you might live. It's our job, our choice to say, you know what, I want to accept that gift. That's why it says might, because Jesus doesn't force himself upon anybody. But he says, you know what, I've done everything for you to have eternal life with me. Now what are you going to do with that, right? And so let's read uh, you know, uh, 10 and 11. Herein is love, not that we love God, because, I mean, let's face it, we haven't. Not until we, uh, give our, uh, not until we uh, surrender to him but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means atonement. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Anytime that he's talking about that, he says, you know, that he loved us and all that, I mean, that he says he dwells in us, that, you know, if we want love one another, he's talking about believers. He's not talking about just any person that comes along. He's talking about believers when he says that. And like I, I, I quoted this, you know, a moment ago, but uh, Romans chapter 5, uh, verse, uh, verse 8 is synonymous with verse 10, which says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and while that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now let's look at the fact of um, the rest of that, which says in verses 9 and 10, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath, from wrath through him. Amen? 
Aren't you glad that he's going to save you from the wrath of God? If you say, well, I'm not really afraid of the wrath of God, then you need to read the Old Testament and find out what the wrath of God looks like. And the thing is, is that the, uh, that the Old Testament is nice compared to the book of Revelation. It's nice because there's a whole lot more you know, wrath that God has stored up for those that don't believe upon him in the book of Revelation. And that's yet to come. I believe that we're getting there, though. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to, uh, to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we, uh, we shall be saved by his life. See, the fact is, is that we were saved, obviously, by his death. His death brought reconciliation to us, and when we accept him, we, when we believe upon him, what happens? He says that we're going to be saved because of his life. When he resurrected from the dead, that shows us that we could have newness of life in Jesus Christ. But I just, I, I do, I, I love the verse that, you know, uh, in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, but God commandeth his love toward us in, while, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were out there, didn't care, wanted to blaspheme his name, use his name as a, sw a swear word, and a cuss word, or anything else, what did it say that he did? He said he still died for us. While, we, you know, we, we hated him, we didn't you know, love him at all, he says he still, he still died for us. The Bible says that we ought to love one another. Like I said, this is speaking of believers in Christ. Verse 12 says, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, these are believers, God dwelleth in us. And his love is perfected or complete in us. That's what that word means. It's perfected in us. It's a perfect love. It's a complete love that he has for us. This is something that when we love one another, when we love believers and we love him, what does it say? That you're going to have that perfect love that's in you. You say, well, you know, there's some times where I mess up. Well, that's why we talked about in, in chapter 1 of 1 John where it says that, you know, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And it also says that we also have one that is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin or our all unrighteousness. He, he's going to cleanse us from all those things. That's what we need to realize, is that if we sin, what do we do? We confess it. Because I believe ultimately, what, what does that do? That puts the dependency back on God, not us, to forgive ourselves from sin. Because we can go to God and have that idea that, hey, yeah, I asked God for, you know, to forgive me. But how easy is it for us to forgive ourselves for doing it? Or how easy is it for us to forgive our spouses when they do it. That's why, you know, the Bible says that with the same amount of forgiveness, you know, that Jesus gave for us, that's why we're supposed to show it towards our brothers and sisters in Christ or those people around us. I mean, think about it. How did God love you? While you were in your junk and your mess and all this other stuff that you had, how did he love you? We just read it. While you're yet a sinner, he died for you. I mean, we can make mad, uh, family mad, friends mad, enemies mad, everything else. But God, you know, God's word says that while you're doing all that stuff, while you're making him mad and everything else, he still died for you. I mean, God's love is amazing, isn't it? And when he says that no man has seen God at any time. He is speaking of God the Father. He is not speaking of the Son because the Son uh, came as obviously 100% God but also 100% man. That's the only way that we could have ever seen God was through the Son, was through Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus you know, obviously was manifest where he was, he was for us to see 2,000 years ago. If we, are, if we enjoy being uh, around believers, hearing God's word preached, enjoy fellowship with believers, then his love is perfected or complete in us. I mean, I, sometimes I've, I've heard people go to church, not here, but go to church and say, man, I can't, just, I, I can't stand them. And it's, they have like this hatred. You know, I begin to say, not, be, not the people that are there, but that person that is saying it. I, I'm like, are you really saved? Because the thing is, yeah, are people going to irritate you? Yes. I mean, let's face it. Are people going to irritate you, frustrate you, sometimes get you mad? And if you say no, then I want to you know, know what relationships you got, because I know that there, you know, there's just going to be times that, that that happens. I know there's times where you go home and I'm like, Pastor irritated me. You don't have to lie, I know. But the thing is, is that that frustration, all that kind of stuff, the thing is that you still have a, a, a love for that person. Or else you wouldn't keep coming back. Because I know it isn't, you know, you know, for my amazing speech and, and preaching skills that you come back. It's because you love God and you want to hear his word, amen? Amen. I'll get an amen out of you, you know, sooner or later. I was going to mess around this morning because I've heard some say that when I got into the first verse and I'm like about 20 minutes, 25 minutes into it, and I say, I'm just on the first verse, their heart starts to get, you know, almost like, you know, just speed it up a little faster because they're like, I'm not getting out of here until, you know, until 1231 o'clock. I know it. I know it. But don't worry, I'm already obviously past, you know, the first verse, so. But there's still time left. Verse 13, it says, Hereby we know that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. We, like I said, we enjoy being with believers when we walk in the spirit or in the light. That's the problem that, we, that most people have, is the fact that when you start having that aggravation and frustration, it's because you're allowing your flesh to get the best of you. I usually find it interesting that most people, when they have a problem with somebody else, it's because they're doing something that they wish that they were doing. That person, they're going, you know what, they're walking in the spirit. I wish I was doing that. And the thing is, but in your mind, you're going, man, I don't like them. And the thing is, it's because you're walking in the flesh at that moment. But if we were to sit there and, and, and say, you know what, they're loving people, you know, they want to hear God's word, they, they love believers and everything else, and they, if they go about what God's word says, that person's not going to irritate them anymore. It's not going to be a frustration for them anymore. Verse 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He's speaking of his eyewitness account. This is John's thing. He says, we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He's like, I've seen it. Even what he talked about in, in chapter 1, he says, I've seen it, I've heard it, I've beheld him, everything about, everything, uh, I was in the presence of him, I, I, I touched his physical body, I know who he is. And he's speaking yet again of the fact that he's like, if you're, if you're doubting what I'm saying, I was there. I was there with him. I was there with him for, 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 you know, for three years or so. And so that's what he's, he's coming back towards the end of this letter. He's saying, you know what, I've seen him. And I'm telling you, he is the Savior of the world. 15 and 16. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we know, and we have known, and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. 
and that he dwell, he that dwelleth in, uh, in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So what is he speaking of? He's speaking of salvation. I mean, think about you know, what, what I just read in verse 15. It says, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. That's the same thing that we know that when it says that, therefore, if you confess, what? It says, whosoever shall confess um, that Jesus is the Son of God is what? Saved. We know this. That's what the Bible says. Verse 17 says, herein is our love made perfect or complete, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. Now, we need to realize that when we look at this, that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, what does it say? It says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence. Confidence, boldness, are synonymous. And not be ashamed before his coming, or at his coming. What is he telling us? That if we are doing what God has asked us to do, share the gospel, love him, fellowship with believers, that we, we do these things, we're not going to be ashamed when he comes. That if we do what he asks us to do, that, and as I said this before, we don't do those things to get God to love us more. You know, you don't go out and share the gospel because you're like, oof, I mean, I hope that God, I mean, I'm going out, I, you know, I, I got to go out and at least talk to like 20 people so God loves me more. Because here's the thing, he already does. Nothing's going to change that. If you're a believer in Christ, nothing's going to change that. We do those things because out of our love for him, we want other people to know. We want to be around believers. Why? To ed be edified, to be built up, to enjoy that fellowship. Because how many of you know that you can be at church and feel the love of God and, 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 and love you know, people, but then sometimes you can go around friends and family and be like, I don't even want to be around them. Why? Because they don't love Jesus, and the people at church do. That's why I believe that, you know, the church family, God's family, blood is thicker than water. That his blood made it possible for us to love, uh, you know, the people here more than sometimes that we love our own family or our own friends. Now, I'm not saying that you go home and be like, I hate you. No, you go home and you try and share the love of, you know, love of God with them so they can come and they go from darkness light so they can join the family of god while we're growing when we are growing in love towards him and our brothers and sisters in christ and abiding and resting in him which basically just means that we're walking in the spirit and as we share jesus with people as he is we can have boldness on the day of judgment and the reason why we have boldness is because why we're doing we're not going to be ashamed we're doing what god has asked us to do we're doing what God has asked us to do, ultimately, by the fact that we have believed upon his son to save us from ourselves. 1 John uh, 3, uh, 19 through 21 says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now, when he says that word hearts, as we saw last week, or sorry, a couple weeks ago, it means conscience. He's speaking of conscience. It says, if our heart or conscience condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart or conscience condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. So when we realize that we sin against God, that's what he's, he's speaking of, our conscience, that's why we confess it, that way our conscience is clear. 
And this is the part, you know, that I didn't say earlier, that when we ask God to forgive us, we do need to forgive ourselves or forgive that other person. Because the Bible does talk about that. That basically if we ask God to forgive us and we, and we haven't forgiven the other person, he says, I haven't forgiven you. That's what we need to realize. So learn to forgive yourself and the other person. Because you know why? Because they're made in the image of God. That's what God's word says. And if we, if we really truly want to follow what God's word says, that no matter what kind of argument we've had with our spouse or friends or family or, or an enemy, we need to forgive them. I mean, there's times where I just, I wanted to be mad. I just said, you know, I want to be angry with them. I want to be angry with this person. I don't want to forgive them, but I want God to forgive me. And then God says, if you don't forgive them, I'm not going to forgive you. And it's like, okay, fine. And the thing is, is that then you find out in that moment that when you forgive them and, you know, ask God for forgiveness, what happens? This big weight, this big burden, you know, lifts off your shoulder. Because the thing is, is that what Satan wants to do is kind of keep you bound. He doesn't want you to be a good example to those people around, showing the love of Christ to those around us, right? Let's look at uh, verses 18 through 21. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out all fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Amen? If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar, for he, uh, he uh, that loveth not his brother whom he uh, hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this, and this commandment have we from him that he also, he who loveth God loves his brother also. What we need to realize in here, for one thing, this is one of the, uh, in verse 18 it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out all fear, because why? Fear hath torment. This is, uh, this is really amazing to me in the fact that there are believers out there that just, I mean, are you going to go to hell because you watch a certain movie, you know? No. But why would you want to watch a movie that has, like, fear in it? That causes you to have fear? I just don't, I, I personally don't understand it because when I got saved, I could no longer watch, like, horror films or anything else, like, stabbing people or anything else. Why? Because, I don't know, like, all of a sudden I had a fear. You hear, like, leaves rustle, and all of a sudden you're going, oh, and it makes you think of that movie. There was a movie that, that I watched. It was, um, this is probably about, I don't know, I guess about 15, 20 years ago, whenever it came out, I watched a movie. It was called uh, The Ring. That movie made me fear the fact of getting out of the shower. And you go, why would that be? Because the creepy woman that would come out of the TV, she got out of there, and her hair's all down here and whatever, and it freaked me out. And you go, well, that's stupid. Well, you know what? Some people have different fears than other ones, all right? But it freaked me out. I said, no, no more am I going to sit there and watch that thing. Because, or the fact that you're, like I say, you hear like leaves wrestle, and then all of a sudden you start hearing music from like Halloween. You know, you're, you're waiting for the music to start going. Ch -ch -ch. And you know exactly what happens in that movie as soon as that happens. That person ain't living anymore. But the thing is, is that you have that, and you go around, and you're jumping around every single corner trying to figure out if somebody's going to kill you. I don't understand why, like, why would you want to, I don't know. I, that's just my mind. Why would you want to watch something that's going to bring that fear? 
Because it says, perfect love casts out what? All fear. And that, because why? Fear hath torment. Now, I, I can think of this, you know, as well. I feared my brother because he tormented me. I know that no one else's, you know, siblings that were in here or cousins or any kind of, you know, relatives never tormented you. I know this is just me. But when my brother came and said, hey, let's try something. When I was younger, because he doesn't do this anymore. When I was younger, fear came over me. But I wanted my brother's love, so I would say, yeah, sure, go ahead. This is the reason why like, I, I, knew, I know what a suplex feels like. I know what a figure four leg lock feels like. I know what a body slam feels like. I, because my brother said, hey, let's try this. And then afterwards, after I'm crying in pain and everything else, he's like, don't tell mom. But I wanted that thing. And the thing is, is what does it say? It says, because fear has torment. We need more fear for people, you know, the fear of the Lord to grip more people, especially believers. You say, well, uh, Christians, are, you know, shouldn't fear. We need to have the fear of the Lord, realizing that if we're not right with God, that fear would grip us so we get right with God. There is, a good, uh, there is a, such a thing as good fear. We realize that, right? If, if the fear that you have causes you to run to Jesus, then that's a good fear. If a, a fear causes you to go away from him, that's not a, a good fear. And that's what we need to realize, that fear has torment. I feel like later on people are going to say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go visit, you know, I was going to go visit family today, but I, I just know something, you know, that they're going to want to try something. And I ain't going to go there because, you know, I'm not going to have fear. But that's what we need to realize. And then here's the thing. In, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know what the first fruit of the Spirit is? Love. We need to realize, yes, that God is love. That's what he wants us to have. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and my wife can quote this. I say, what's the fruit of the Spirit? And she's like, love, joy. And she just starts going through this whole thing. So what happens when you, like, grow up, you know, well, it was missionettes at that time. Now it's, like, girls' ministries. But she knows all that, and I go, I have, no, I, I need to memorize that because I definitely wasn't raised in church. So, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This is something that, you know, that I find is, you know, is funny is that I've heard people say that I'm working on one of these. As if it said, but the fruits of the Spirit. It's not multiple, it's singular. The thing is, is that when you get saved, you have all of these. Now, whether or not you want to be obedient to those things is a whole different story. But you have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. You have those, all that salvation. When you get saved, you have those. There's no, like, I need to work on this. No, you need to give heed to the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and the thing is, is that all these are going to come, I mean, that's just going to be there. Because think about it. There are times when your child irritates you. Or at least mine does that, you know, at times that she'll say something or whatever. They'll irritate you. But because you have the fruit of the Spirit, the thing is, some supernatural thing happens, and you actually, in that moment, don't want to send them to their room. I'm just going to go that way. 
but you show love towards them. You say, you know what, I understand because they don't know necessarily everything. And you have that love, you have that joy, you have that peace, you have that long-suffering. Think about that word, long-suffering. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. You have all that, and you don't want to go over there, and you don't want to give them a whooping because you're like, you know what, hey, why? Why would I want to do that? Now, the Bible does say spare the rod, spoil the child, so there's a, a balance there. But we need to realize that in verse 19, it says, we love him because he first loved us. goes back to Romans chapter 5, verse 8, which says, he commanded his love toward us in, in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us first. He loved us first. So what is perfect love, complete love, what does it do? What is perfect love? Since God is love, he shows love towards believers. He gave, uh, you know, that he gave it you know, towards you know, everyone, but the thing is, is that some just, you know, there are those that are not going to believe upon him. But what is that perfect love? That complete love, what does it do? It has fellowship. We see this in chapter 1, verse 6. It walks in the light, chapter 1, verse 7. It confesses its sin, chapter 1, verse 9. It keeps his commandments. Now, what are the commandments he is referring to? Love God and love your neighbor. Because basically, if you do those two things, everything else is in a fallen place. That's in chapter 2, verse 5. It loves his brother the sisters in Christ. Now let's face it, there are, you have family members, you love them, right? You love mom and dad, you love your brothers and sisters, you love all of them. But there are times where they irritate you, but does that mean that you don't love them anymore? Or they frustrate you, or they cause, you know, no, you still love them, they're just not being nice to you right at the moment, or you're not being nice to them at that moment. Perfect love loves not the world. This is in chapter 2, verse 15. It loves not the world. We can get so focused and so set up on loving the things of this world, like, you know, having a, you know we have to have a brand new car, or, you know, as soon as that loan payment, you know, runs out. We love that car all the way up. Yay, I'm free. And then we go out and get another one. I'm not telling you to do that. Because I see Parker on the back, he just crosses his arms. He's, you know, he's, he's about Dave Ramsey. You don't do that. You save your money, and then you buy a car. But I've seen people. They get a, a, a toy or a gift or whatever, and they love it all the way up, you know, until like maybe a couple of months. And then, like, my child was playing with the box that the thing came in, and I was wondering why I went out and purchased this thing for 25 bucks when I could have got her a box, and she would have been fine with it. We don't love the things of this world. You know, we don't get so, so super attached. We don't have to have a new iPhone or a new Samsung Galaxy or whatever as soon as they come out. We don't need to have those things, right? Because all it's doing is just, it's just making us focus on having stuff. And how much of that stuff do you get to take with you when you leave? Can't take any of it. Now, I'm not saying you just take your phone and just start throwing it around. But like, eh, whatever. But you know what I mean. Perfect, complete love, it abhors or hates the Antichrist. We talked about that in, in chapter 2, of verse 18, that the Antichrist will come and basically speak about everything against Jesus. It also, it knows the truth. Chapter 2, verse 21, it does righteousness. It does the things of God. Chapter 2, verse 29, it does righteousness. It follows, it does the things you know, that God wants us to do. Love our neighbor, 
right? Love God, share Jesus with others around her. We do righteousness. We do the things that God would have us to do. It lays down its life for our brother. Chapter 3, verse 10. You say, I don't know. That person, they're irritating me. But the thing is, is that we truly have the love of God in us. And we see my brother or sister in Christ. And say, you know what? I would rather it be me than them. And I think we have this, you know, we still have this idea that death is a bad thing. You say, well, you're dead. Not if you love Jesus. Yes, you die in this life, but then you immediately go on to be with him. And then you live for all eternity. In a perfect society that's not jacked up and messed up like it is now. I mean, think about that. It only gets better. I thought it was before. For the believer, this is the worst thing. You know, this world right now is, is the worst that it's ever going to be for you. But for those that love Jesus, uh, you know, that hate Jesus, this is like heaven for you. You're going, wow, that's terrible. Because the alternative when you hate Jesus is the fact that you're going to be in hell. And so this right here is the best that it's ever going to be for you. That's why we need to implore and share Jesus with other ones and beg people, say, you know what? Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Please, would you do it? Because that way, this world is not the end for you. It's not the best that it ever is for you. But you have, the best is yet to come. Amen? It loves in deed and in truth. This is in chapter 3, verse 18, which says that we are to love in deed and in truth, that we don't just say, I love you. That we just don't, you know, but sometimes when we go, you know, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we actually show them that we love them. And that's also by telling them the truth. Because if a believer in Christ is not doing what God's word is, and we sit back there and say, I'll just let God deal with them. No, maybe God sent you to them to speak that truth to them so they can come out of that. That way their life is not terrible and in trouble. If we truly love one another, we're actually going to tell them, hey, don't walk in the middle of the street when cars are going by. Right? Don't stand on, you know, don't stand on railroad tracks and wait for the train to come. These are all things that we do out of love, right? You say, well, no, it's common sense. No, it's out of love, too. It abides in God. Chapter 3, verse 24. That we remain, we want to walk in the Spirit, we want to follow after God. It tries the spirits in, in chapter 4, verse 1. That it, it puts different things on trial to make sure that it follows what God's Word says. He doesn't just sit there and say, oh, okay, well, a preacher got up there and started talking about, well, and, and we automatically believe it, but we actually take it against what God's Word says. I'm not saying you go into every single service skeptical, you know, skeptical of what a person says, but if a, a preacher gets up there and you're going, well, that didn't sound right. Don't just sit there and say, well, I'm just probably being oversensitive or overcritical. No, take it against what God's Word says because there's a reason why he gives us the Spirit. So that way we know when something is off and something is not right. It also, it prays for a brother. This is, in, uh, we'll see in chapter 5, verse 16. And it also, it keeps us from idols. That's why when somebody tells you to do something or say, hey, whatever, it keeps us from idols or putting idols in our life. That's why God is love, because why? Because he's wanting the best for you. He's wanting the best for believers. That's the reason why he tells us to do these things. Not because he's like, you know, the biggest party pooper in the world. Pardon my language. He's not. 
He wants what's best for you. I mean, you would think that, you know, that we would trust and believe the creator of the world, the one who created the heavens and the earth and all that we see all around us and us, that he knows what's best and right for us. And that's why we need to believe and trust his word because why? I mean, I've seen people say, I wish life came with a manual. It does. Or I wish children came with a manual. It does. That's why, you know, I see so many people go out there with their kids and they go, I have no idea what to do with this child. I don't know what to do. Read his word and his word will tell you. Sorry. Feels like it was more like a, you know, I was on a rant or whatever you know, today, but the thing is, is that God is, he is love. He loves you. You know that, right? He does love you with a perfect, complete love. And that love is going to tell us also when we're, things are not going right, but also when we're doing well. And we don't have to sit there and fear the fact of all of a sudden God saying, don't love you anymore. I mean, let me ask you this question. Does the Bible ever at any point say that once you commit this many sins, he's going to take his love away from you? If you've already believed upon him, if you're a believer in Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, you know, he says that you believed upon him, you're saved and everything else. Does the Bible ever say that there's an amount of sins that he says, you know what, I don't love you anymore? You no longer have eternal life. Because if you find that verse, please let me know. I've never seen it in God's word where he says, all right, 500, that was your number. You went 501. Don't, let, uh, don't love you anymore. He doesn't say that. I mean, that's one of the things that we also should realize from the prodigal son. In which that story is more actually about the Pharisees that he's making that point. But at what point in that story that Jesus is sharing, does he ever not call him son? Even though he turned his back on God, did all these stupid things, made his life a mess, when he came back, what did he still, he still called him son. There's never a point in that story where he ever said, he is not my son, I don't want anything to do with him anymore. Never. Does that mean we would go out there and go, woo I can do whatever I want to do because I love Jesus? No. If you want to make your life a mess, go ahead and do it. But the thing is, is, the Bible tells us to live a holy life. Why? Because he doesn't want our life to be a mess. He doesn't want our life to be, a, you know, a, a bad example to those around us. He wants our lives to show forth so that way others would also come to know him. That we can lead others out of darkness into his light. Amen? That we, are, we live a holy life. And so many people say, well, I don't know. Holy life sounds kind of boring. The thing is, is that I would rather be bored sitting at home on a Friday night than going out and making my life a, a ruin because other people say, well, this is fun. I'm sorry, I lived that life. I don't like having my face where my rear end should be. I don't. And that's why the Bible says, you know, for us to, to not do those things. Or what, why? Because he is love, and he's, he doesn't want that for you either. Amen? God is love. And the thing is, is that what we need to realize is that we need to rest and abide and believe that he truly does love us. Because for me, when I was growing up, I was born and raised Catholic. And it was always that thing of, did I do enough to earn God's love? Oh, I messed up today. I, I, I did this. Does he still love me? Or I did this. Oh, man, that's a big one. 
Ooh, he can't love me after that one. No. When you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, what it says, you shall be saved. It doesn't say you possibly, maybe, if you don't, you know, if you, no, it says you're, you're saved. There's a love that God has for us no matter what. He loves us. 